Hey everyone, Chad from the future here, and I just wanted to give a brief disclaimer here at the start of the episode. We had some technical issues with this episode involving losing Katie's audio completely, <laughs> and we had to resort to using audio ripped from the live stream video to rescue the episode. So as a result, a lot of the audio isn't the greatest quality, but since we usually hold our audio to a pretty high standard, we hope you'll forgive us this time around because, in my opinion, the discussion is great in this longer episode. Towards the end, audio gets slightly out of sync. You hear me reacting to stuff Katie says slightly early and occasionally talking over her. I promise I'm not that rude. Again, we hope it doesn't take too much away from your listening experience. A lot of time, a lot of time <laughs> over this weekend was put into making it as listenable as possible due to the circumstances. So all of that said, please enjoy episode 101. Thank you. is an American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. You awake over there, Chad? At the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did okay. School has started. Yeah. We are swinging. We're in week two, and I'm still doing my after-work workouts, which I, who knows how long that'll keep up. Because uh, I have turned the the band hall into my workout space because I do not have workout space at home, so I'm just a sweaty mess two hours after kids are gone, and that that's my life right now. <laughs> I'm not working out, so that's you know I, I can't relate at all. But life is also crazy, and I just am tired because adulting is is you know happening. But I'm glad you're working out. Put an extra one in there for me because uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, moving on to some introductions for this episode. Why don't you get us started? Okay. Uh, so I went on an email spree. We get emails all the time, and we're, we're really good at shouting people out when we get the emails, and then they like sit in our inbox for like two months before we reply. So we're really sorry about that. Rest assured, you email us, and we read it like immediately. But then, like so fast. yeah, so fast. Sometimes I'm like, oh, Katie's already read this because the notification goes away. <laughs> um, yeah. So I went on an email spree to catch up on all of our emails since like, January? I mean, we, we hadn't not responded to all of them. We, we'd responded to something. But anyways, so that to say, I had responded to Christian, and I said, uh, sorry we're so late, but at least you got the shout out. And he was like, oh, what episode was it in? I was like, oh, it was in, um, actually, we, we missed you. Sorry. <laughs> and so Christian, here is your shout out for the email you sent us back in July. <laughs> so And you get a story about it. Yes, so. you get an extended shout out. <laughs> Sorry, Christian. We value you and your email just as much as everyone else. We just are bad. <laughs> so there's that. And we also got a Facebook recommendation recently from Brooke. Thank you, Brooke, for the Facebook recommendation. We also got a few Apple podcast reviews, one from IDCWYT, which I'm going to guess stands for I don't care what you think. Mm. I don't know, but he doesn't care what I think. So that's what I think. Uh, also from Nate and from Ellie. So thank you all for your reviews. And on Twitter, we heard from Angel, from Marta, Julian, Columbia America 7, Tom and Leslie. So thank you. We we hear from some of our regulars on on Twitter. We have a pretty good conversation going back and forth with them. So it's always nice to hear from you guys. We also heard from Karen and Nate today. I just did not add you to the doc. So thanks for you talking good to catch. us on Twitter as well, Karen and Nate. And Nate is actually in the chat right now. So glad you could join us. 
Okay, we're on to the character. No, we're on to the episode discussion, and then we'll talk about characters and stuff like we normally do. Chad, <laughs> <laughs> the first episode we're talking about is called Customer Loyalty. It aired on January twenty fourth of two thousand thirteen. It was directed by our very own Dwight, Mister Rain Wilson, and written by Charlie Grandy. Dwight, in an outrage that athlete is apparently poaching some of Dunder Mifflin's employees, starts a customer loyalty campaign in the office. Jim and Pam are at odds, to say the very least, as they're both experiencing stressful situations at home and at work. And Nellie regrets teaming Aaron and Pete together after their attraction for each other becomes obvious. Okay, so let's talk about that last point first. So Nellie has put Aaron and Pete together to work on Dunder Mifflin's expanding social media presence. Because remember, Nellie has been appointed as the head of special projects, which was a position that didn't exist before, but it's what she did at corporate for Sabre before Dunder Mifflin was bought back by David Wallace. So they haven't had a lot of success, really, uh, but they obviously work well together. We've talked a lot about their their interactions and how well they get along and how they're a good fit for each other. Not even necessarily romantically. They just work well together. And Nellie is like, I'm a genius. I put the two of them together. And Aaron, even in a talking head, says Pete and I work well together. Not that there's anything special about Pete. It could be any guy or girl. Not that I'm into girls. Not that I'm into Pete. And so... <laughs> She she is very aware of her attraction to Pete, and we saw a lot of that in the episode Lice as well. So she she's tripping over herself. She's obviously into Pete and just trying to deny it to avoid causing problems for Andy's eventual return. Yeah, because as we remember, Nellie and Andy have had a precarious relationship at best. When Andy left, they were only just tolerating each other and just getting along. And so with Andy coming back soon, possibly, hopefully... Aaron and Pete are really chummy, and Nellie just sees, you know, Andy blaming this entirely on her, which, of course, it's not Nellie's fault. I mean, they work in a small office, but she doesn't want to be uh, held responsible whatsoever for helping Aaron and Pete spend more time together because he doesn't need another reason to hate her. Nellie eventually finds, oh, well, they are working too well together. I have sent his girlfriend into the arms of a younger man. I CC'd him on every incriminating memo. Uh, she, she reads one of these so-called memos. Pete and Aaron, don't hold back. Our social media presence should be hot, hot, hot. Go at it vigorously, which in a certain context does sound pretty sexual. She says, I did everything but unzip their pants for them. Oh, God, Nellie. And so it, it culminates in this meeting that Nellie, I almost called her Donna again. I had it in the back of my head and I said, Nellie, I forced myself. <laughs> So Nellie steps into a conference room meeting and turns it into, let's make sure that we're being faithful to our, our significant others, everybody. Like, for example, Aaron, it would not be okay for you to flirt with Creed, for example. And then Kevin points out, well, this is too complicated. Why not we just say Aaron shouldn't be flirting with Pete because that's exactly what they're doing with each other. And so now it's everybody's business. It's exactly what Michael used to do. And now Nellie has brought everybody's attention in on these two people. And so she dissolves the youth task force, which she calls their, their little partnership. But it's Toby, of all people, who makes Nellie realize that keeping Aaron and Pete from each other was almost a purely selfish act. You talked about that, Katie, about she wanted to maintain her good relationship with Andy. And so it was in her best interest to split them apart. But Toby says, you know, Andy was kind of a terrible boyfriend. He ignored Aaron, and then he left on a boat trip. 
And so she does decide to take the less selfish approach and she, quote, forces Aaron and Pete to work together again. Because, I mean, we'd seen them in little snippets between that happening and this happening. Pete and Aaron sort of being cold to each other, distant from each other, wanting to interact, but feeling it wasn't in their best interest to do so. So Nellie, in the end, forces them back into the youth task force so that they have to spend time with each other again. Now, I really like Aaron in this meeting. So it's, it's Dwight's conference room meeting. We'll get to the plot there later, but basically it's this loyalty initiative specifically about Daryl. And Nellie starts drawing this not-so-strong parallel with Daryl's relationship with Zunder Mifflin about how he's flirting with Athlead, but he's in a relationship with Zunder Mifflin. That's where she ties Aaron into this, you know, she's in a relationship with Andy, but she's flirting with someone else. And uh, it, it's really poorly veiled. But Aaron, I love this. She gets tired of everyone just talking about her as if she doesn't know what they're talking about and as if it, she's not right there. And she stands up in front of everyone when they start publicly debating Andy versus Pete and wondering out loud how far Aaron and Pete have gone. And Aaron just tells everyone to stop speaking for her. And then she sets the record as, as straight as they will allow her to set it. This is her business. She's getting a lot better about doing that. I feel like when she was first brought into the office, when she was first hired, she was sort of a doormat. And she's gotten a lot better about standing up for herself and about her own personal boundaries and her relationship boundaries. So really glad for her in that moment. Aaron has, has a, a couple, couple of really cool moments in this episode and in the next where it seems like she's old Aaron, who's, you know, a little bit not all there, a little bit ditzy, a little bit slow to slow on the uptake. But then it twists into something where she reveals how clever she is or how mature she is. And so I really like Aaron in these two episodes. In fact, I think next episode is written by Carrie Kemper, who we've we've talked about before. Carrie Kemper always writes really good Aaron episodes because it's Ellie Kemper's sister. So. We'll talk about that when we get to the next episode. But it really is just a good moment seeing Nellie tell Aaron and Pete that they, they do, you don't have a choice in whether or not to work together. And everybody knows that you don't have a choice because I'm forcing you. And so they, they walk out and they're all smiling because it means that their friendship can continue uninhibited by social expectations because, quote, it's not their choice. And now since we're on the subject of Nellie, just for a brief moment, Speaking of Toby, she forgot that she ended Dwight Christmas by kissing Toby in the kitchen to shut him up talking about the Scranton Strangler. And now, apparently, he thinks that the two of them are dating or something. The two of them are something. He says things throughout the episode like, so proud of you, hun, or not everybody has what we have. And at the end, he says, lady, you never stop surprising me as he's like massaging her shoulder. And it's like she she remembers... I, I kiss that man. <laughs> so uh, a little bit of a precarious situation between Nellie and Toby, not one that she really seems to enjoy herself being in. It's always so creepy to me, that, that little line, that little plot line, because he just assumes we kissed once, we must be dating, and we must have this rich back history and backstory between the two of us about how surprising she always is and how great their relationship is when it's not anything it is not a relationship, and uh, he's just invented this whole story in his head, which is ugh, super creepy. Yeah, and this, I mean, it's like a month later, too, you know? I mean, Dwight Christmas would have been before Christmas, and now here we are. I mean, the episode premiered at the end of January, and we know a couple episodes down the line we have a Valentine's Day episode. And so, I mean, this this place is about a month later, and now... Toby is just now approaching Nellie. Like, they haven't had any any other interactions to make her 
uh, her red flags go up. It, it, it's just really strange that even after a month or whatever, she she's still or he's still thinking something's going on. Now, Dwight, Dwight is horrified when he learns that Daryl is also working for Athlete or as he calls it, the stupid company or stumpany. He thinks that uh, Jim is trying to poach these employees, you know, start, starting with himself and then slowly he'll take over the entire office. So Dwight is so horrified that he passes around this Dutter Mifflin loyalty pledge. Of course, he's not being honest about it. It's disguised as a coffee order with a piece of paper, you know, over what they're signing. And it's quickly discovered to be this loyalty pledge by Phyllis. So then Dwight goes to Clark and asks him to get all of the customer complaint files specifically about Daryl and specifically about once Daryl started working with Jim. He wants to kind of prove that Daryl's customer loyalty has gone down or his his customer satisfaction has gone down since working with Athlete. And he holds this conference room meeting, which we discussed briefly, which it's it's just... I have a lot of questions about his his motives here, and I'm sure we'll get to it. But he brings in this client who's apparently outraged at Daryl for messing up on an order. And, and the client disagrees. He says, you know, I'm actually fine. I mean, I did get a late shipment, but I'm OK. And Daryl says, yeah, that's, you know, we're really sorry. It's very unlikely that'll happen again. And the client's fine. And Dwight is just trying to make this a much bigger deal than it is and spends all day doing so. It's like a weird sequel to Branch Wars. You know, Branch, Branch Wars, Wars is when Stanley, Stanley was threatening, was threatening to, to, to take the job, the job in Nashua. And, and so it was, it was Dwight, Jim, and Michael who, who went to Nashua to sort of sabotage Nashua because they were stealing Stanley. And so I, I feel like this is a weird sort of spiritual sequel to that, except rather than being antagonistic towards the place specifically, it's towards the person who's leaving for the place, which is Daryl. I don't necessarily have a whole lot to say about that plot line. Most of this this plot I actually have in funny moments because Dwight turns this into like a road trip kind of thing. Like, well, I'm going to show you how much fun paper delivery is. <laughs> and so, I mean, Dwight, I, I, I have more to say about Dwight's opinions on all of this stuff, I think, in the next episode. Unless you have something you want to say specifically for this situation. It was more just wanting to know what you thought about it, why he was freaking out so much. But sounds like we can address that in the next episode. Yeah, spoilers. <laughs> Although I will say that I was really glad, again, I was glad for Daryl in this plotline for being the mature one of the two of mm -hmm. them. When they go through this drive through and uh, Dwight, in an effort to be fun and, and with the times, he orders a milkshake and does a fire in the hole, which is where you throw the drink through the window of the drive through I didn't do the, the research may have been a popular phenomenon at the time that this aired. I hope not because it sounds horrible. Yeah. And uh, Daryl quickly removes the keys from the ignition so that <laughs> Dwight cannot flee the scene. He has to face what he's done. And in a deleted scene, which we'll get to, uh, he drags Dwight into the restaurant and we see that, but we see the aftermath of, of Dwight cleaning up the mess he made and Daryl just standing there making him do it because you don't do that. <laughs> and yeah. Dwight's a little out of control this episode. Yeah, Daryl says, you just threw a milkshake at, at people who make minimum wage. It's like, what right have you to make this person's life more miserable? They're already not thrilled with the, you know, yeah, with the money yeah. that they're making, and they're working harder than, than most people. Yeah. Okay, this leads us into the, the big thing that happens in this episode. And it starts innocently enough. Jim tried to make it home for Cece's ballet recital, but he couldn't get away from work. 
something came up, important clients started pulling away from investing. And so he had to stay at Athlete in Philadelphia and was not able to make it to the dance recital. So he called Pam. He says, hey, is there any way you can record it for me so that we can watch it at a later point in time? And he says, are you sure you know how to record it? Because apparently she's not the greatest with the phone. She says, hey, my rectangle pointing skills are just fine. Thank you very much. And she does seem to know what she's doing when it comes to recording. But brief interjection, Pam is waiting for a phone call from the city of Scranton because she has applied with the help of Robert the Senator to design a mural for Irish American Cultural Center. And she gets that phone call during the dance recital while she's recording. And so she answers it. It's great news. Awesome. She's really excited. Resumes holding the phone, pointing to the rectangle, but she doesn't hit record again or something. And so she misses this. And this doesn't sit so well with Jim, who's normally a happy-go-lucky kind of nice guy. Their priorities here are very different. Pam cannot wait to tell Jim about the mural. She's so excited. She calls him. He's really discouraged because they did end up losing this investor. And he's like, look, all I need, all I need is for you to tell me that you got the recording and that we can watch it. I just, I just really need to pick me up. And Pam, who, of course, was at the recital, was like, oh, you know, it's funny. I, <laughs> I shouldn't have been so cocky. I actually didn't get it. And then she wants to tell him her, her good news, but they don't get there because he's so upset. This is where it starts to really spiral downwards. He was like, this is the one thing I asked you to do and you couldn't do it. You said you could do it. And he's, he's mad at her and she is mad at him because, hey, you could have been there and, and you weren't. I didn't even need to record this because you had the option of leaving and coming here and watching it for yourself. And he says that that's not fair because these are his days in Philly and that this is something that she agreed to. Pam takes offense to that because she doesn't want to hear about what is fair, about her having to single parent half the time, about her not having a husband half the time. And she doesn't really think that that's a conversation she wants to have about about what's what's fair. And we don't come to a conclusion about this. Pam starts to cry on the phone. Jim is really frustrated, and now he has to go back to work. And when they hang up, it is by far the most tense moment we've ever seen from either of them, or at least together. And uh, Pam breaks down and cries, and it's just awful. In my notes, I originally wrote my question as, who's in the wrong here? But then I said, you know, maybe the better question is, who is more in the wrong here, Jim or Pam? Pam has given Jim her blessing to spend this time working in Philly. And she did say she could film the recital for him. But Jim is also working more in Philly than Pam really expected. And then he's angry at Pam for, for not getting the recital video. So what are, what are your thoughts first uh, before I... I feel like I am preaching a lot of the time when I'm talking about this storyline, <laughs> and I really don't mean to. I mean, really, who am I to preach anyways? I haven't been in a relationship in who knows how long. But I mean, I have feelings about this. And so I'm just curious to know what yours are before I go into mine. Well, it's really funny that you say that because my initial thought was like, okay, so I'm getting married in one month, right? right? And we're like doing premarital counseling stuff. And it's like, you know, it's not about who's right. It's about coming up with a you know solution. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't, I can't, my, my first instinct was like, well, it doesn't matter who's more wrong. Right. Uh, but arguably here, I would say that it would be great if Pam could record the recital. It would be great, but it's not a requirement a favor. Jim couldn't make it. 
So she's doing him the favor of recording the recital. Mm-hmm. It might not be a favor. That might be a, a kind of loose and harsh word to use there. But no, I mean, I understand your point about it for sure. It's like, I mean, he's he's her dad just as much as Pam is her mom, but he's not there. I mean, it doesn't sound like he had much of an option to get in the car and leave, but he he could have. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's unfair for him to be as upset as he is at her. He had a bad day. He had a really bad day. And that sucks. I mean, that's mm-hmm. really bad. And they had a really unfortunate thing happen for the company that he has spent so much time in over the last you know, few weeks. But that's no excuse to treat your wife like that when it was an honest mistake. Yeah, I think. OK, so here, here's here's my thoughts. This is such a hugely human moment. You know, mistakes happen. People lose their tempers. Words are exchanged. Maybe they're later regretted. Who knows? Jim got a little heated. Yes. But he missed an important moment. Should he have been there? Yeah, it would have been nice. But isn't he in Philly to do his job and to do it right? You know, if he couldn't get away, he couldn't get away. I'm not disagreeing with you here. I'm just saying, like, things happen. Jobs are like that sometimes. It's not his fault that he couldn't be there. But Pam did give her blessing to to Jim to pursue this job eventually. But does that mean that she has to be okay with Jim being gone this often and working this hard? No, it doesn't. It, it's just like it's it's just a hugely humanizing moment for both of them as a couple. But my biggest takeaway from this moment, more than anything, is how they end it. That's what hurts the most to me. We'll talk tomorrow isn't a goodbye or an I'm sorry or an I love you. Jim talks about it being unfair for Pam to say that he should have been there. And she says, I don't think you want to start a conversation with me about what's fair. Things, these things are things that need to come to the surface. They need to be brought up and they need to talk about them. But because Jim has to leave for work things, they're brought there, they're left there, and they're unresolved. And that sucks. At least the effort of an I love you or a bye, as you said, is just, it's a goodwill gesture. Mm -hmm. And uh, neither one of them makes it. And it's just really unresolved, intense. And uh, when she hangs up, Pam does this like shrug and she makes sort of an I don't, what do I do gesture? And she's focusing on something off camera. Now, this is sort of revolutionary for the show. She starts crying, sure, she continues crying. And then for the first time, we hear a crew member speak. And his name is Brian. He asks her if she's okay. And, and she says, What am I doing wrong? And then he steps in front of the camera. So this is the first time we've seen or heard of from a crew member. So he's one of the boom operators and he steps in to comfort her and he tells the camera guy to give her a minute. And when the cameras aren't turned off after a minute, he, he gets forceful and he demands that they be turned off because she needs some time. Yes. So pretty crazy uh, moment for the show as a whole, because it's, it's become quite meta in this one moment mm-hmm. that, oh, yes, this is a documentary. And we see the real uh, proof of that here. Right. It, it's not the first time we've heard them talk. We heard that in the season nine premiere. Oh, right. Uh, right. But I don't think there would have been any other time. There were there were times when somebody would like gesture or ask the camera a question and the camera would shake or not. Or, or there was like once uh, when Pam was staying in New York and Jim went and visited her where Pam and Jim tricked them out of going into Pam's dorm room and there was like a sigh. But yeah, this is the first time for sure that we've ever like seen somebody on camera. And that's huge. And that leads into my discussion topic. 
what are your thoughts about Brian the Boom Guy stepping in and comforting Pam at the end of the episode? And then I kind of want to turn this into a discussion I've seen a lot of times. Why didn't he step in back when Roy tried to attack Jim or when Trevor tried to kneecap Oscar or any other variety of circumstances that have happened in the several years this documentary has been in the process of being recorded? Like, why is it this moment here and now? that he finally decides to step in front of the camera, break some rules, and comfort Pam? Now, it's hard to answer that question because I've completed the show. Mm -hmm. We get a tiny bit of an answer at the beginning of the next episode, if you want to allude to that. We do. It appears as if Pam and Brian have an off-camera friendship, and they they have socialized, mm -hmm. it sounds like, off-camera. Off so as far as Oscar and Angela and Dwight, that whole bit, maybe he just wasn't emotionally invested in those people so he was okay sort of it's like they say when you're filming a, a nature documentary you know you can't help the gazelle being eaten by the lion you just have to let it happen yeah. and let nature do its thing right and maybe that's oscar getting kneecapped is just the gazelle being eaten and you just have to like let it happen <laughs> i don't know i mean kind of awful but you know, I guess the, it's also terribly illegal. But. Yeah, I guess the major thing to point out to, to point out is that this is a moment where Pam actually reaches out to the person off camera. So I, I think that that's the, the, the key defining thing is that when when Roy tried to attack Jim, nobody was asking, oh, camera crew, you better step in and interfere or in any of those other moments I mentioned. But here, Pam specifically looks to Brian off camera and says, what am I supposed to do? And so I guess that's a big difference. I sort of answered my own question. And I, it's not something I planned. It was just like, oh, that kind of makes sense. Pam asked for it. That is a big difference. <laughs> but, and in this episode, I will agree with you. I take issue with that next episode, but we will get into that. Mm -hmm. But I mean, clearly, he's not just that boom mic guy over there. He's, he's Brian. And so that says something, too. Okay. So. Yeah. That's heavy stuff to Fun end stuff. the episode on. Fun stuff, however you want to put it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go ahead and go into funny moments. Do you want to kick us off with the cold open? One of the best in a long time. Ah, uh, yes. We we needed one like this. So Dwight wants to clear out the uh, the file cabinets behind accounting. He says it's been way too long. So he pulls out a file and starts to go through it. And enclosed is a letter from Robert Thunder himself stating that he has hidden a valuable artifact, and it's, it's been hidden until somebody worthy can safely recover it. It says, this golden chalice is of immeasurable historical and religious significance, the Holy Grail, in Scranton, Pennsylvania. So <laughs> Pam calls Jim, because this is, of course, at the beginning of the episode before any uh, unpleasantness has gone down, and she asks, hey, this sounds a lot like one of your pranks. Did you send Dwight on a quest with the Holy Grail? And initially, I thought this was kind of rude. He just I'm so busy these days. There's no way I could have. And then he remembers, oh my gosh, I did. Do, I did do this. It was a long time ago. And he doesn't remember how the prank ends. He says, was it a fake grail? Was it no grail? I don't remember. <laughs> and um, there's this whole string of clues. There's a paper with invisible ink, which leads him to the ceiling above accounting, which leads him to the annex. Because they find an X. <laughs> Um, he's led to the couch at the entrance of the office where he finds some um, cards, a flush, which leads him, of course, to the toilet where he finds a toy forklift, which leads him to the warehouse. Of course, by now, the entire office is invested and they tear apart the warehouse, but they don't find anything. We're disappointed, you know? Okay, I guess the prank ended with no holy grail. 
And then the camera pans over to see a warehouse guy drinking coffee out of the grail or rather dunking a donut in into the grail, <laughs> which uh, which is holding his, his coffee. So it has been found. But of course, this was a long time ago. So it was already found by the warehouse and they just. Kept it. I love the slow stacking of interest throughout the office. And it's like Jim really thought long. Oh, goodness. I, I realized I was setting up a that's what she said joke, and I leaned away instead of into it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll say it. Jim thought long and hard about the placement of each of these clues because the people around that area are the only ones who would have come up with it. Like Dwight finds an X. And so Oscar, it had to be Oscar, says an X. Okay, that makes sense. And then Kevin is the one who points out that the cards are a flush uh, Mr. Mr. Gambler. So it, it's really well thought out, even though he forgot it after six, seven years. But it's such a great cold open, especially after Jim biting his lip and going home early. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. this is an old school, like middle to early office cold open. Mm-hmm. This was great. Now, next up, we've got Jim at the very beginning of the episode. He's telling us about the ballet recital that he's going to. He's excited to go. Him and Cece have been working on her special move. He calls it the Cece Spin and Kiss. And he performs it for us. <laughs> and so he like puts his arm out to the side and he spins around and he blows a kiss. And this guy walks by in the background <laughs> and he's like, WTF, man, like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he, he says, it's pretty cute, right? I'm like, uh, decidedly less cute because you are a grown man. Cute when a four-year-old. <laughs> Dwight to Clark when he's trying to rat on Daryl. He asks Clark to bust out your complaint files. I need everything you've got on Daryl since he started working for Jim in the last few weeks. Break it down by keyword, okay? Infuriating, irresponsible. And Clark, man, I go back and forth on whether I love him or hate him. And here I love him. He says, they've got us set up with Windows 95, (laughs) so you're kind of dreaming here. (laughs) And Dwight says, okay, I'm going to need you to print it out. And this just old printer starts like beeping and whirring and 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 taking uh quite a while i'm sure to print out all of these complaints but (laughs) he's doing it after dwight realizes that daryl has left for athlete as well or is leaving for athlete he calls jim he says hey helpert what's the big idea first you jump ship now you're stealing daryl too when will it end Jim says, well, take your worst fear and multiply it by infinity. And he says it's all very casually because he's, he's doing his own work stuff at the time, too. But he can't resist the, the temptation to mess with Dwight. Dwight says, you won't stop until you've poached us all. Jim says, yeah, even you. Dwight says, no, I'll be damned if I'm going <laughs> to let us lose me. And Jim just says, bye, Dwight. <laughs> Too busy. Dwight, in his customer loyalty conference room meeting that he's called, he's writing on the whiteboard and he says, customer loyalty, what is it? Can you hold it in your hand? Can you nudge it with your finger? Can you dump it on a woman? Okay. <laughs> I what? don't know where that instinct <laughs> came from, but it's very on brand. <laughs> when Pam gets the phone call from the city during the ballet recital, she is really excited, but then she says, I'm sorry, I have to go. My daughter is a ladybug. <laughs> I just love that, that quick. My daughter's a ladybug. I gotta go. This has to end. I want to be the other person on, on the other line. Is she okay? What's happening? <laughs> uh, I, I mentioned the fire in the hole thing earlier, but while Daryl is making Dwight clean it up, the most kismet, excellent karma happens because Dwight is cleaning up his fire in the hole because, as I said, Daryl made him do it. Good man. And another drive-through customer 
does a fire in the hole, throws the milkshake on Dwight. And Dwight stands up and yells at him. I mean, joke's on you, buddy. They make you come back and clean it up. No, no, that's your friend being a, being a good person. That's all that is. This is not how it normally goes. During Dwight's conference or meeting about loyalty, Dwight asks that question, you know, what is customer loyalty? And Kevin says, it's when you get a free sandwich after you've already eaten 10 sandwiches. And Dwight says, not even close. I don't know. That sounds pretty loyal to me. Like, sounds great. I, I, I would enjoy a free sandwich after 10 a sandwiches. A lot of those. I'm like, I am like, I'm like red status Chick-fil-A. And so I get them points. Yep. Loyalty all the way. Popeye who? I don't care. Chick-fil-A all the way for me. Stanley has, I believe, only one line in the entire episode, and it's fantastic. Nellie, who is trying to reverse any of the damage she may have done to Aaron and Andy's relationship, she agrees wholeheartedly with Dwight's loyalty spree, as we mentioned earlier. In the conference room meeting, she asks the office to consider if they have all been loyal in their relationship. And Stanley says, none of your damn business. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great line. He just looks he up from his crossword not. puzzle. Another Kevin moment during that conference room meeting, after the eyes have turned toward Pete and Aaron, Pete says, come on, guys, where is this even coming from? Kevin says, your feelings for Aaron, probably your heart, and a little bit your penis. <laughs> <laughs> Honest, honesty, that's, that's best, I guess. Angela, regarding Aaron hypothetically cheating on Andy, she says, well, I think it would be immoral for Aaron to cheat on Andy. And Aaron says, oh, I'm sorry, didn't you cheat on Andy? Which, like, yes, get it. <laughs> and uh, Angela kind of soberly says, yes, and he didn't like it. <laughs> so maybe don't cheat on Andy. <laughs> and in that same moment, it's actually right before that, when Nellie says, so is it all right for her to flirt with Creed, for example? Creed says, let's try it out. And then Ellie's like, oh, nope, nope, let's, let's not say Creed. Let's say Mr. X. And that goes into Angela. Oscar. So Pam says, okay, everybody, I'm leaving for Cece's dance recital. Expecting a reaction, sort of. And Oscar feigns and aww. And then he just like straight faces back to his work. Uh, he's not even trying. And so later, Pam offers to show the video from the recital. This is before she realizes she didn't get it. And just says, I, I'm swamped with um, hmm, this. And she holds up a single sheet of paper or like a form or something. So Oscar's like, okay, duty falls on me, I guess. Let's get this over with. And Kevin, so, same sort of thing. And obviously, Pam didn't get the video. And Oscar says, user error. I've heard it happens to other people. Like, what a douchebag. <laughs> okay. I've heard it happens okay. to other people. Whoa. Yeah, what happened in uh what what episode was that? The in season 8, the Doomsday. Oscar was the one who t sent them over the line, wasn't it? His mistake. Tried to do math in his head. Believe that. So, yep. User error. Because his computer is fueled by Thai food and Spanish. Yeah, something writers. like that. Mm. <laughs> Actually, maybe my last one. Phyllis starts publicly debating the Andy versus Heat versus Aaron. <laughs> trifecta she says well andy's cute but he's too vanilla whereas pete he's just one sick dude i mean you know this guy likes to get weird which i swear they like wrote that line for creed and phyllis just said it <laughs> you know <laughs> like, that'd be funny I, I could picture that she said that and it like came oh, one sick dude that does not sound like something yeah. you would say <laughs> but it made me laugh 
attached to Stanley's none of your damn business. Nellie says Daryl is, quote, dating Dunder Mifflin and says Daryl is dating Val still. <laughs> he's, he's not excited about it. <laughs> and then the episode finishes. Daryl is watching the video that the, the teens who threw the milkshake at Dwight uploaded. And Dwight does his whole fake laugh back. Ha ha ha. And Daryl just replays it. And he says, you know, I am going to miss the paper business <laughs> because I get moments like this. And uh, last thing for me, and I don't know if you have another one, but the last thing for me, I just wanted to point out that Meredith's wig this episode, it's almost like a new game. She's wearing like a short blonde. So. Yes. Mm. Yeah. We get lots of looks mm -hmm. for her. Some deleted scenes. There's a Nellie talking head discussing how when she joined under Mifflin, their web presence wasn't great. That's why she created the youth task force, Aaron and Pete. And uh, there's the Pete talking head following that where he says, things are a little weird with Aaron for a while, but now we're back to where we were in the good old days in like October. Because <laughs> again, he has not worked there for that long. Nellie then comes in the annex on her way to the break room. Toby says, oh, hey, Nell. But she doesn't respond. She is either ignoring him or was not attentive to him or whatever. And Toby then goes up to Clark and says, you know, Nellie and I kind of totally kissed at the Christmas party. And Clark says, no way. On the lips? Toby says, on the lips. Lips on lips. Clark just says, nice. And then they just watch Nellie choosing something from the vending machine in the break room. Kind of a creepy moment. Kiss and tell, for sure. Middle school, like, on the lips. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think, I think Clark is just in disbelief. <laughs> like, on the lips? Yeah. <laughs> like, really? A real one? Nellie asks Toby for his HR guidance uh, because she's become privy to an inappropriate workplace relationship. Now, Toby misunderstands this inappropriate <laughs> workplace relationship as their own. And no, she's talking about Aaron and Pete. And uh, Toby starts to flirt because he thinks that she's flirting. He says, you know about this relationship, do you? Is it naughty? And Nellie says that uh, I suppose it is. <laughs> and I, I don't know. Should I do anything? And Toby says, do everything. <laughs> Okay. Uh, oh, no, no, I don't want any more of that. Please. Yeah, and I was proud of myself. In my notes for this deleted scene, uh, after that, she says, right. And she returns to the bullpen. And hey, hey. flashback to last episode. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he just sort of like pauses, like he doesn't know what just happened and why he and Nellie aren't making out again right now. And he just like makes a kissy face and leaves. Like, we should probably be doing, we should probably be making out right <laughs> I now. I planned that <laughs> like, differently. I thought that's what was going to happen. Next deleted scene, we get the arrival of the the disgruntled client. His name is Mr. Romanko. He's looking perfectly calm, perfectly normal. Dwight storms up to him and says, Mr. Romanko, are you okay? I'm so sorry that you felt the need to come in today. And he responds, I didn't. You called. But it, it's such a small matter. And Dwight interrupts him and says, no, hey, there are no small matters when it comes to customer loyalty. And he's announcing this very loudly so everybody can hear, specifically Daryl. He says, we take that very seriously. Emergency conference room meeting, everyone. Daryl, let's move. He turns back to the customer. He says, I hope you have nothing planned for the rest of the afternoon. <laughs> he says, actually, I do. And Dwight interrupts again. Irate customer coming through. Come on, conference room meeting, everybody. And he shoves the protesting Mr. Romanko into the conference room while everyone else just sort of stares and they haven't moved. It was just like, what is happening? And Dwight says, Daryl, this man is livid. Let's go. Let's go. He's, he's going to be livid if you keep pushing him into rooms he doesn't want to be in and take up all of his afternoon time. It's not for this. 
Pam meets her mom at Cece's dance recital. We don't get Helene in the episode, but we get her here. Uh, Helene is holding two additional seats, one for her, one for Pam, and one for Jim. And now that Jim's not coming, she moves her coat from one of the seats, freeing it up. But the lady next to them, next to the now free seat, starts chastising Pam for making Helene hold two seats because this lady made her husband stand in the back because there weren't enough seats. But now he can't come through, can he? Because that would be rude. And then the man in the row behind Pam asks, are you ever going to sit down? Are you going to sit when, when the show starts? And everyone's just really grouchy and needs a nap. So Pam then scoots to the front row once the show starts to get a better view for the recording. And she asks if anyone would then would be willing to trade seats with her because she needs to record for her husband, which is how in the episode she ends up in the front row because they, they glare at her for a second until a man pulls his son into his lap so she can have a seat, which is nice. But like all of these are awful people. <laughs> yeah, they're they're all bad, except for the, the guy with the. Yeah, but even he's a little bit exasperated. And, and I, I think he has a, com- a couple of comments for her when she gets the phone call uh, during the recital. Now. I understand she she deserves a couple of nasty comments, maybe, uh, for answering the phone call in the middle of this at the front row. But, I mean, still, I mean, come on, people. It happens. And it's not like she was loud. About, whatever. <laughs> All of these people are the worst. And then in the parking lot afterwards, Pam has a, a talking head. She says, you know, getting this mural is a huge deal. The Irish American Center is right downtown. So this mural is going to be seen by everybody, not just the Irish who are great by the way the, the irish are great they they have an amazing heritage and then a car horn honks next to pam so she moves out of the way she continues there's rolling green hills there's shamrocks they've got it all and then at this point the car has backed up and the woman driving flips pam off and pam just says to the camera ballerina moms like come on like what's the deal everyone Dance is moms bad. And then we see Daryl drag Dwight into the fast food restaurant to clean up his mess. As I said earlier, we, we get to see that here. And Dwight is argumentative at first, but Daryl insists that he stays and cleans up his mess. And then when they arrive back at Dunder Mifflin, Dwight has a talking head where he says, I just don't understand. Today had all the elements of fun. Large vehicle, check. Pointless mischief, check. Paper distribution, check, check, check. Sure, I know. A lot of kids have posters of athletes on their walls. Well, I have a poster on my wall turned around <laughs> so I can appreciate the high-gloss 80 Bond poster paper. They tell me there's a picture of Kathy Ireland on the other side, which is not even that sexy to me. We are living the dream. And Deborah wants to live in the nightmare of sports marketing. Some people just can't appreciate a good thing when they have it. <laughs> oh, there's so many things about that. The, I love the poster turned around bit. That's so funny. <laughs> A high-quality poster paper. Okay, let's go into our next episode. We already did my discussion topic. So the next episode is Junior Salesman. It aired January 31st, 2013, directed by David Rogers, and as you said, written by Carrie Kemper. Now that Jim is spending most of his time in Philadelphia with Athlete, David Wallace has asked Dwight to fill Jim's desk when he's gone with a junior sales associate. Clark is an obvious fit. But Dwight is more keen on hiring a friend to sit with at work. But are any of Dwight's friends actually qualified for the position? We'll find out, I guess. Yeah, there, there, there are so many moments in this episode where I have like the Chrissy Teigen gif of her like cringing at an award show or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's so many things that are just like, no. Yeah. <laughs> 
So starting out with the cold open, which was, of course, not funny at all. Uh, it's a it's a continuation of last episode with Pam and Brian. So Pam approaches Brian and apologizes for interacting with him. He's not supposed to talk to the subject, and he got in trouble for doing so. And she tells him that, well, she's thankful he's a good friend. So that is sort of what we talked about in our mm-hmm. last episode. They talk briefly about Jim, and Pam says that everything is mostly okay. And Pam sends her best to Alyssa, uh, presumably his his wife his partner and uh it's brief but it's clear that they do have some sort of a friendship off camera as we as we discussed again yeah first off i want to point out the unique view that we open with the camera is actually like lying on the ground and it it's so it's such a weird view of the office that it almost takes you a moment to sort of place where exactly we are and what what it is we're in the corner of accounting but we're more behind meredith's desk than we normally get and we're looking out towards the rest of the bullpen and uh yeah because i have a word for the main (laughs) office i whatever (laughs) and it's 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 just a unique view i thought that was cool to see because it it did take me a moment to place it the very first time i watched or however long but then the second thing just highlighting those specific things you already you already mentioned but i just want to highlight them so this whole exchange between pam and brian does hint at history uh brian says he's mic'd them for nine years pam does say to say hi to Alyssa. And then, I mean, it, it just makes sense that the characters in the office would have some kind of rapport with the people documenting their lives over the last decade. So I, I, that's all I really wanted to say is just like in regards to my discussion topic for the last episode as well. There's some history here and it's not just we know him by name. It's like we do spend time together outside of the office. Sometimes we are friends outside of filming a documentary. Yeah. So that's pretty much all we get about that for this episode. Now. Dwight, as you said, is bringing in friends to interview for a sales job that's opened up. It's the junior sales associate who will sit at Jim's desk while he's away. And Dwight is excited to have someone at his desk clump who will understand him because for so long he has been teamed up or he's been teamed up against rather uh, with Jim and Pam. You are quite literally a team. And so Dwight has always felt on the other side of that. So he's excited to have somebody on his team to kind of go against Pam. Clark very seriously wants to be considered and he makes a good point he went above and beyond and lots of other things <laughs> with the white pages account with jan and he scored the suit warehouse sale with, with dwight so he's kind of proven that he's a worthy contender but dwight is not at all considering him even though he tells clark that he is in a talking head dwight says that clark has a zero percent chance and clark sort of has a funny if telling talking head where he says this sucks you know you put on 12 grueling weeks at a company and what do they do they make you compete for a promotion like an animal how dare they you know i thought this was an office not the thunderdome well you work there for three months so <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> promotion should be competitive but i mean i get his point here uh he clearly does deserve the job he has proven himself and everyone knows they don't need him and pete both handling customer service in the annex like that's a, a half a person job you know kelly did that job nothing necessarily against kelly but kelly did that job you know (laughs) so dwight starts bringing in the freak parade starting with rolf who we last saw back in company picnic and it's just it's already off to a bad start already off to a bad start uh he he says you know rolf is calm cool and collected 24 7 he's a sweet guy but while he's saying this first we're thinking back to company picnic and how he talked to angela specifically in that episode i mean he said some pretty vulgar things 
And then during this voiceover description of Rolf that is being given by Dwight, we see Rolf yelling at a rabbit on a leash. So, I mean, what do you expect from this kind of guy? He ends up redacting most of his resume. He turns it into an interview of Dwight instead of an interview for himself. And he says, what are your credentials for interviewing me? And Dwight's like, yeah, um, maybe you wouldn't be great at this job. And so he starts turning to other people. And I mean, honestly, like of the first few candidates, Rolf was the most qualified or at least like competent. And it, it just goes south from there. And Rolf was not a very high bar. Yeah, he's one of the most sane candidates, which is telling because or saying something because he's not that sane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so next we see Trevor. Now, this is the same Trevor that tried to either murder or kneecap Oscar. <laughs> uh, so that would be an interesting work environment. And in fact, during Trevor's interview, we can see Oscar huddled over at Aaron's desk looking scared, which makes sense because, you know, <laughs> he tried to kill him. But it proves that he's not even going to be really considered because he's stumped by basic interview questions like, why do you think you are qualified to be a paper salesman or something like that? He's like, oh, I was not considered. I, yeah, I, I didn't I did think I'd be asked coming. that question. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's literally just, why do you want the job? Yeah. Do we really think that guy would be a good salesman? Like, would he mail his customers receipts of their purchases so he could keep their paper in a safe place? Like, you know, like, what do you expect from this guy? And then other candidates he brings in, he brings in Moe's. Like, when does that guy seem like he could function in a proper work environment? He brings in his former babysitter slash lover, Melvina, from Dinner Party. Uh, Troy, who is Ryan's friend from New York. There's Nate. Oh, sweet Nate. I wouldn't mind that, but whatever. <laughs> uh, Dwight's uh, sensei, Ira or Ira, I don't remember how it's pronounced specifically. Uh, We meet another uh, Shrute cousin. There's Zeke. Then there's also a former classmate from the X-Men school named uh, Gabor. (laughs) And then there's his paintball friend named Wolf. So, I mean, obviously all of those guys are winners, and any one of them would be more than sufficient to fulfill uh, Jim's orders while he's gone. But mm, it's, it's rough is what this is. It's rough. And everybody in the office knows that it's rough. Well, speaking of Jim, Jim is aware that with him being gone, Dwight will hire a friend, which will drive Pam insane. So when Clark asks to borrow something of Jim's to prepare for the interview and he sits down at Pam's desk, Jim just starts grilling him about whether he's good to sit next to and going so far as to ask him to breathe in Jim's face. And Clark is uncomfortable. But when Dwight sees this, Dwight has talking head. He says, I can't hire Clark. He looks like a shrewd, but he thinks like a helper and he acts like a Beasley. This isn't happening. But Clark nails his interview, like much to Dwight's frustration. Dwight keeps lobbing questions at Clark and Clark is killing it. And he says enough. Finally, he says, I'm clearly the best person for the job. But Dwight says that he has more friends to bring in. Fun fact, pretty much all of Dwight's friends are wearing varying shades of brown. (laughs) They're just all like they're all Dwight's type people. You know, they're all just odd. And um, smelly. (laughs) smelly dirty odd violent jim in an effort to help out pam further or continually he calls david wallace and tells him that he would like some say in the hiring process because he will be sitting at his desk and sitting next to his wife white says that since jim will not be here while the hire is here and he's only part-time he won't be as invested so he doesn't really need a say that's what dwight says and david while he's on speakerphone with both Jim and White, takes the opportunity to say, oh, by the way, Jim, since this hire is working while you're not here, we can only pay you on days that you'll be working. 
which really bums Jim out, but honestly has always mm-hmm. seemed really fair to yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, it, it is fair, and he admits that. I mean, it's like, I, I, I guess I can't yeah. really complain, but I mean, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because he's not making a salary at athlete yet either. So he's getting a huge pay cut. Yeah. So he's sort of part-time pay for part-time work, but it's still part-time pay. And uh, we learned that Jim and David actually had a call scheduled for later. It's just really awkward. Jim has, because in the last episode, this investor pulled out of Athlete, his coworkers at Athlete have pressured him into asking this super awkward question of David, which is to invest in the company. I cannot imagine having to make that phone call. Jim does not want to make that phone call. This is going to be a private phone call for later, but they're already on the phone. And David says, well, you know what? You have me now. Why don't you just ask? Jim tries to ask and it immediately is shut down because, of course, why would you ask for money from the company that you're trying to leave? And it's just yeah, it's really awkward. Bad. It's a bad situation for Jim. He is trying to to sort of save Pam, which is nice, especially he I mean, he admits at the start of the episode that things are a bit delicate between him and Pam right now. And so he's doing everything he can to limit the amount of Dwight in her life. And any of these candidates we mentioned would have increased the amount of Dwight in her life for sure. So not necessarily a discussion question because that's yours for this episode anyways. But why is Dwight so resistant to hire Clark? And I have my own theory about this, but I'm curious to hear what you say. Because he's clearly qualified and he nails the interview. So, I mean, it's like not that he has that against him, you know? Well, for whatever reason, I'm I'm not remembering. I, I know we covered it when Clark and Pete were first hired. At first, Dwight was really taken with the idea of like having this son-like figure. And then in the same breath, almost really disliked Clark. It was because Clark said, hey, if you're ever feeling overwhelmed, I would be happy to take some of your clients for you or to make some calls for you or whatever. And Dwight, yeah, Dwight saw it as him trying to steal his clients. Maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe he feels a little threatened. I think a big part of him also just wants to work with a friend and wants to work with somebody who he has a relationship with and a history with. But I don't know why he's so vehemently against Clark. I can just think why he's for a friend. Here's my theory. Uh, I'm going to quote something you already quoted. He says, he may look like a shrew. He thinks like a helper and acts like a Beasley. I think he's scared to replace Jim, who he now considers a friend. He's scared to let go of people he thought were friends because it means admitting that unlike them, unlike all these shrewd people, Jim is a real friend. And replacing Jim with someone like Clark, someone who's competent and clever and pleasant to be around, might make him miss Jim less or forget Jim more easily. You know, it's like, why replace Jim with somebody like Jim? Because then the specialness of Jim isn't preserved kind of but then i also think it's really unique that as much as dwight wants to hire one of his quote friends he loves dunder mifflin too much to actually hire any of them because they'd be actual disasters he says at the end of the episode i guess i just have higher standards for my work colleagues than for my friends so that's my theory as i i just think he's scared to like let jim go and replace him with an actual competent person that really could be it especially the bit about not being able to hire his friends because as the next point in the plot goes, it's at this point that Dwight realizes that none of his friends are good options. He's interviewed them all and, or almost all of them, and he's starting to break down and freak out. At this point, his friends come into the office 
he's using Andy's office as this little interview space. And they try leveling with him. They say, look, I know you can't hire all of us. This must be hard. But no matter who you choose, we are still your friends. And it seems to be, you know, it looks like it's going to be okay. But they kind of joke like, now, if you didn't hire any of us, that would be rude. That would be horrible. And Dwight's like, in his head, you know, I can't (laughs) hire any of you. You're all horrible. But he doesn't say that. And now, conveniently, Dwight wants Jim's help in picking who to hire when just moments ago, that was not the case. And he uses his own reasons against him. He says, well, since he'll be sitting at your desk next to your wife. So they both decide that none of these people are the right choice. And Jim agrees to give them the bad news and take the blame. For some reason, he decides to do this. And they don't take it well and they storm off. And Clark gets the job and he sits in Jim's desk. And Pam is pleased, not overly so, you know. It, it just seems like a moment of Jim worked really hard to do this thing for his wife. And, and Pam is just like, well, you know, yeah. it's not Jim. That's not as good as what I currently have. Clark is still pretty upset with, with Dwight about not taking him seriously. And Dwight's feeling really bummed about losing literally all of his friends in the span of one day. And Pam, in a sweet moment, sees that Dwight is upset. So while Clark is away, she convinces Dwight to team up with her against, quote, the new guy, which is what Dwight really wanted all along was someone on his team, someone on his side. And so now we see that Pam is that person for him. Yeah, it is. It's a nice moment for Pam, for sure. Like even in her own sort of depression, she sees Dwight's and does what she can to help. Want to haze the new guy? (laughs) And Dwight's response Absolutely, I do, (laughs) which is a a callback to the Alliance and other select moments throughout the series. So that's really nice. But it it does suck for Dwight. I mean, his friends may be weird, but they're not they're not dumb. They're not stupid. They see through this excuse that he presented through Jim and and they understand that it was Dwight who didn't want to hire them. So sucks for him. But at least he still has a friend in Pam and he knew that. But it's just like a nice reminder at the end of the episode. The last thing for this storyline, anyway, uh, there's a Jim talking head. At the end, he says, it doesn't matter who ends up sitting next to Pam when I'm gone. The people around you are basically who you end up spending your life with. I mean, because of where my desk was, I spent all those years looking at Pam and I fell in love. So that stuff matters. Definitely does. Now, the talking head itself is great. It's lovely. It's, you know, it's sort of a little love letter of why he fell in love with Pam. But the camera hands over and we see Brian looking at Pam which in the context of the talking head, his job also put him in a position where he stares at Pam all day. And it seems to insinuate that he and Jim are in the same position. Right. That, that him being around Pam so often has led to something. It's a weird moment for sure, because this is the first time, I mean, we, we saw in the last episode, it was the first time a, uh, an off-camera person came into the camera but here, like the camera willingly strays to then look at Brian. So it, it's different than what has happened. But I think everybody's picking up like, oh, this is some new juicy documentary stuff. Let's see what's happening between the Mike guy and the, the secretary, you know. Yeah. So it's a reminder that these people have spent hours upon hours of time together. Most of it indirectly, but it does seem like plenty of times outside of those times at work, too. And, you know, after seeing what has happened with Aaron and Pete during Andy's absence, it just sort of makes you wonder what might happen now in Jim's absence. And that's what we end on as far as character stuff goes. I also actually just have one small character Mm -hmm. thing with Stanley. It probably doesn't mean much, but I was curious as to your thoughts. 
it would appear as if Stanley didn't want Jim working at Dunder Mifflin. Angela, regarding all of Dwight's friends, says, I wouldn't want to sit next to any of those people for the next 20 years. Someone say something. Stanley says, I said something when they were thinking of hiring Jim. Didn't work then. And now look at what he's doing to us. What do you take from that? Um, that is a good question. I, I don't think that Stanley necessarily has any contempt for Jim didn't work then that's the most interesting part you know he says didn't work then like i said that when they were thinking of him they hired him and it didn't work then so i wonder if it was just like jim was a young guy you know oh. okay so this maybe gives some context remember at the beginning of season nine when stanley and phyllis were like really strangely antagonistic towards pete and clark so maybe it's just something against young new guys like a perceived like not necessarily like a hazing thing but just like Oh, look at these new young people who come in thinking they can do things their own way and they're going to change things and they're going to they're going to make a big career out of this. And here they are 20 years later, still just selling paper. So I wonder if it's something like that. And it's just something that it's like a, a specific prejudice that Stanley has always had towards young new hirees. And then maybe once they they mature into the role, then he's like, OK, whatever. I don't, I don't know that that's an answer i don't know if it's the answer but i wouldn't take uh, much malice from it i i tend to agree with you i think that's probably just yeah he doesn't like change yeah and i mean just a few episodes ago uh jim took phyllis and stanley out to lunch to get them to cover for him when he was gone in philly and phyllis was the one who said it but i mean she was speaking for both of them we love you guys they, they love pam and jim so whatever feelings of contempt he might have had at one point for jim are gone Except in this moment when it looks like Dwight might be hiring a freak. Right. Yep. Now moving into some funny moments. The cold open, as we mentioned, is not funny. And we mentioned it earlier. Starting with Dwight, maybe. There are so many funny Dwight and like Clark moments in this episode. It's, it's a really funny episode. Yeah. Of course, the bulk of mine, mm -hmm. I think, are Dwight's friends. So there's an insight into some of his friends' lives. Dwight says, uh, Clark has no chance. I mean, he's up against my buddy Rolf, for God's sake. The guy goes fishing with hand grenades. And Trevor, he'll make you laugh so hard. you. Not sure what that means. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like it. <laughs> um, he says, Trevor's next, and he's a real professional. You say jump, and he says, on who? He loves to jump on people, that Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> then we have Dwight. He says, next up, my cousin Moe's. Moe's could make a great paper salesman. He's got a natural fear of paper, which would motivate him to get rid of as much of it as possible. I've got big expectations, <laughs> Moe's wife. I mean, the interview between <laughs> them is so great, too. Dwight says, what quality would make you a good sales associate? And Moe's just quietly to himself says, people person. <laughs> and Dwight says, it, it says here on your resume that you spent the last 15 years as a sales rep for Dow Chemical. Moe says, that's right. You, you know we live together, right? Moe says, yes. I says, and I've never seen you go to work. Ever. Moe just says, okay. Dwight <laughs> says, so why is this on your resume? And Moe panics and sprints out of the office. And he goes all the way downstairs and all the way across to the parking lot and all the way, presumably, to Shroot Farms. And I love that as soon as he, he runs out, uh, Jim just turns back to Dwight and gives him a thumbs up. Like, you're doing great. Good candidate so far. <laughs> I, like some good I like this one. 
Before we move on to some of the other Dwight friends, I uh, I love that we see that Dwight has designed some uniforms for Dunder Mifflin. There are four options here for uniforms. There's summer, winter, jungle, <laughs> and formal. Yeah, he, he says, I just couldn't picture any of them in the old golden gray. And Jim says, I knew it. You designed a uniform for Dunder Mifflin. <laughs> and that's when we're treated to the sketches, which are actually pretty good. They're, they're ludicrous for a workplace, but they look nice. They're is that moment where all the new interviewees are hanging out in the conference room and the one named Gabor speaks up and he talks to Melvina, who is the old babysitter. He says, I knew you looked familiar. You used to pick up Dwight from school. Melvina says, you went to X-Men school too? (laughs) And Clark just says, X-Men school? And we get an answer via Dwight's talking head. He says, when I was young, I spent several years at a private school where I was told I would be taught to harness my mutant abilities. Turned out, it was a con man, copying Charles Xavier's school for gifted youngsters from the X-Men comic books. Took me years to figure out that it was a con. Some people never figured it out. And then we cut to a Gabor (laughs) talking head. Says, oh, I have a few powers. Night hearing. Dogs understand where I point. And our training included... Picking carrots, scrubbing tubs, sewing imitation Levi's. Oh, and a lot of telemarketing. <laughs> yes, all, all very relevant superhero training and those those powers. I am truly jealous of your giftedness. Clark, I think right before that is asking how people heard about the position. Nate says that Dwight called my house, but he didn't realize that I'd already moved out because my mom and I are quarreling because I can't stand ever stuff. Zeke, the other cousin, says, well, why is my cousin? So I overheard him telling my brother Mose about the job opportunity in the shower. Clark pauses. He says, wait, you were in the shower or was he in the shower? Zeke has this attitude of like, uh, duh, <laughs> everyone was in the shower. It's a cow shower. So there's like a ton of people in there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nate, later in the episode, Dwight has gathered them all. He's, he's telling them, oh, yeah, thanks for all interviewing today, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. And Nate speaks up and he says, do we get our resumes back or do you keep them? Because I only have the one and I have a chili recipe on the back that I really want to keep. That's such a good Nate. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) He just has this. It's almost like a valley girl kind of accent. You know, Dwight called my house, but he didn't realize that I'd already moved out because my (laughs) mom and I are quarreling because I I, I can't stay out of her stuff. (laughs) It's it's fun to do. Rolf and Clark have a conversation. Rolf introduced himself. He says, I'm Rolf. Rolf all. Clark kind of stifles laughter. He says, Rolf all. That sounds kind of like Roald Dahl. Rolf says, go to hell. (laughs) He either hates Roald Dahl or he's heard that before. Now, Rolf ends up, as you said, interviewing Dwight to get the job somehow. He kind of turns the interview around on himself, sort of like how Jim turned the conversation around with the marijuana. And or Robert California did drug testing. Uh, at the end of season <laughs> five. Yeah. Or, or season, season seven. seven. There's lots of this. So I just want to go into that a little bit more. Dwight says, so I've got your resume here, but it's not telling me everything. He kind of laughs. Dwight's a pretty good interviewer, I have to say, when he when he yeah. wants to be good. He's, he's so <laughs> Yeah, when he's not interviewing Andy to get into Cornell. To Cornell. <laughs> Rolf says, well, a lot of that information is private. How do I know you're qualified to evaluate me? Dwight says, well, I'm the one offering the job. Rolf, what are your credentials? I've worked here for 12 years. I won Salesman of the Year. I'm assistant to the regional manager. 
Rolf sort of straightens his back. He said, I think I've heard everything I want to hear. I says, no, 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 wait. I mean, if you need to know more, you call David Wallace. I'm sure he'd give a reference. Rolf says, thank you, Dwight. I will be in <laughs> Yeah, and I love that moment where Dwight's like, wait, what just happened? Okay, yeah, this is getting, no, not good. <laughs> I don't understand. Talking about all of his candidates at once, Dwight has a talking head. He says, Nate is a proven entity, but not without his handicaps, hearing, vision, basic cognition. Those are pretty severe handicaps. Uh, Trevor is great, but I saw no fire in him today. And this is a guy who loves to start fires. Troy is literally one of a kind. He's a goblin or a hobbit or a kobold, which is a type of gremlin. And yet I'm hesitant. Why can't I pull the trigger on any of them? I, I don't know. Like, you just gave very fantastic reasons why. <laughs> All the reasons you just said, that's why. Uh, the office has some great reactions to Dwight's friends. They're all kind of staring at them in horror through the window. And Stanley says, this is not natural. Oscar says, I don't want to make any assumptions based on people's physical appearances. But Cam says, well, no, of course not. But does physical appearance <laughs> include smell? Daryl says, they smell so bad. Meredith says, if I ever get that bad, you would tell me, right? And Kevin says, Meredith, I tell you all the time. Meredith kind of elbows him and laughs and says, yeah, walked right into that one. And Kevin's like, <laughs> I, I really, I tried. This is what I'm talking about. I tried about. to tell you. <laughs> this is it. When Dwight has realized how helpless his situation is, and he's going to have to tell all of his friends that he can't hire them, he decides to enlist Jim, but he doesn't enlist him like a normal person. He yell whispers <laughs> at Jim from the confines of Andy's office. He's, Psst, Jim, 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 turn around, Jim, turn around, Jim, turn around. And Jim obviously hears him and is ignoring him. He says, mm, I stretches. I love staring off in one direction. If I'm not looking south, I'm not living. That's what I always say. <laughs> and so Dwight army crawls out of Andy's office and grabs the bottom of Jim's chair. It's just act natural. And he's like grunting <laughs> as he's pulling the chair back to Andy's office. And Jim just like waves like, hey, everybody, this is normal. <laughs> I also like that Jim just doesn't even bother yeah. to lift his foot and it's just like <laughs> bouncing on the carpet. <laughs> we see Troy, as you said, Brian's old friend, blow drying his chaos yeah, in the bathroom. And Stanley enters and sees this and Troy just pointedly says, whoops, like Stanley's the one at fault for walking into this. And so Stanley just turns around and leaves and Troy's like, well, that was rude. <laughs> Can you give me some privacy? Um, Pam. To, to sort of de-stress goes down to the warehouse to work on her mural, uh, which she has been commissioned by Nelly to paint. And Hide is still the, the watching critic that we saw when she first started on it. He says, why you make trees into bushes? You don't make paper from bushes? And Pam says, Hide, they're giving out jobs upstairs. Why don't you go up and get one? He just like sobers up and smiles and like bows. And, oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and, and so he shows up for an interview just because Pam sent him up there. And in the interview, he tells us, you know, I have eight years selling electronics experience in downtown Tokyo. Plus, I was a doctor, you know, heart surgeon, number one. And also, he has a business degree from Tokyo University. So he is literally the most qualified person to interview, even above Clark. But Dwight simply says, yeah, this isn't going to work out. And so Hide smiles and he nods and he cheerfully says, thank you. <laughs> the same he said to Pam. And he leaves like, okay, that was fine. I'll go back down to my warehouse job. Yep. Now you talked about Wolf a little bit. I, I can't, I can't oh, pass off course. some of these moments. Sorry, I have so many. 
there's yeah wolf who is the paintball friend of dwight dwight hands him a piece of paper and asks wolf to sell it to him now dwight plays this very eager buyer he wants to buy the paper all wolf has to do is sell it to him and wolf manages to somehow not sell the paper because he says that even though it's not very good dwight seems to want it badly enough that no i <laughs> no this is mine i don't want to sell it to you <laughs> Dwight's like no i i would love nope nope it's mine <laughs> I want to read through Trevor's interview with Dwight real quick because he says some great things. Dwight says, what makes you think you'd be an effective paper salesman? Oof. Okay. Didn't see that one coming. Can I take a 20 on that? Maybe we can circle back around to it. Dwight says, well, it's a pretty basic question for a potential paper salesman. Pass. Next one. <laughs> Dwight says, okay. All right. Do you see yourself as more of a team player or a self-starter? No. No and no. <laughs> Dwight says there were only two options. He's very confused. Trevor just says, checkmate. You win this one, my friend. Do you validate parking? He hands over a ticket. Dwight says, this is a, a bus transfer. <laughs> and so Trevor takes it back and he sort of chuckles. He says, nothing gets by this guy. Like, well, what is going on? <laughs> and the last time we, we had Trevor uh, was the target when he tried to kneecap Oscar. Uh, I called Trevor Dark Nate, and I stand by that. Uh, I really like that description. <laughs> yeah. My favorite bit about him are just the really yeah. thick glasses that really yeah, amplify his eyes. There's this great Melvina Dwight exchange when uh, w when she comes in and Dwight is just groaning and laying on the floor of the office. She says, do you need to be changed? Dwight says, I do that myself now. Oh, and she also says at one point in the episode, I was his babysitter, and then we dated for a while. He was a passionate lover and the sweetest little baby. It's like, no, please don't say those in the same sentence. No. No. Please. No. Nope. See, now I, I just said Dwight's nearing 40, but I take that back. How old is he? Uh, 40? I have no idea. Okay, so Michael was born mid-60s, right? Michael and Phyllis. So by he he would have been like 45 or so around around that uh slightly after by the time he left i'm gonna say dwight is yeah, nearing 40 fair. i stick uh, by that maybe, maybe not an accurate age for rain but i i think it fits in the timeline for dwight yeah and, and I mean, honestly there's probably like an official birth date somewhere online for dwight uh we, we can look it up i guess but why not I'm i'm gonna check real quick real quick we're gonna get an answer January 20th, 1972. I don't know where that information comes from. This is quoted on Dunderpedia, which I use all the time, actually. But I don't know where they got that information from. So it's probably like on a screenshot or something in the background uh, or something they confirmed off camera or on like a, an NBC, fan, uh, like NBC information page or something like supplemental material. So anyways, uh, about 40. Not relevant. At the end of the day, when all of Dwight's friends are peeved at him and they all decide to go play paintball, it should be noted that Creed storms out with them. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. And also, they, they send Dwight a picture of all of them at the, the paintball field, and Creed's not in this picture, not that I saw at least. They're all flipping Dwight off, and I thought it was interesting that Mike Schur is in the picture, but he's not as Moe's. If you look at the, he's clean oh, shaven. So, it, it, I don't know if it was like a, a Michael Scott Photoshop job where they just were like, here's a picture. 
Mike couldn't be out that day, but we'll put his face on and hope nobody notices. But if you look, uh, it's it's definitely not Moe's Mike shirt. It's just Mike shirt. Yeah, I hadn't noticed that. So my last one, Pam, when she sees that Dwight is upset, as we mentioned, teams up with Dwight against Clark, uh, against the new guy, and she gives Dwight a roll of saran wrap. She starts to sort of guide him on what to do with the saran wrap. She says, okay, next time he gets up and goes to the bathroom, y- you know, and Dwight's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I got you. I got you. But of course, he misunderstands. And when Clark returns, he unwraps some of the saran wrap and tries to suffocate Clark. And we just see the most terrified, <laughs> dying Clark. <laughs> Pam starts screaming, no, yeah, it's not Drop it. Um, yeah, not a prank. That's a murder. Um, the new, new guy. guy. Nearly killing the new guy. With death. Same, same thing. thing. <laughs> okay. Deleted scenes. We got about the same number of this episode for, as we did for last episode. Uh, starting off, we, we've got Pete, who is talking with Aaron at his desk. He says, now you just need a password that needs to be at least six letters long, include at least one capital and one number. And her answer is fantastic. This is one of the moments I referenced earlier. It wasn't in the episode, but we get it in the deleted scenes anyways. So she says, A, B, C, D, E, F. So there's her six letters. Then she says, Washington, D.C. There's her one capital. And then she says, six, one number. So, I mean, it, it makes it sound like, oh, come on, Aaron, you need a better password than this. But she's just like being snarky with her answers. It's really great. Yeah. And so she has a talking head. She says, Pete is helping me get a bank account online. It's official. I'm a nerd now. And, you know, I haven't stepped into a bank in a long time because I do all my banking online. And I think that's the case for most people. I. I I don't think it necessarily makes you nerd. Maybe it did in 2013, but whatever. I feel like that's just her thinking that if you have an online account, I'm like, oh, I'm doing things. things. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> the, the deleted scene goes on slightly longer. Pete says, okay, it's time for security questions. And this also kickstarts an ongoing storyline that was completely cut from the episode we can sort of talk through. He says, what was your mother's maiden name? She says, I don't know. He says, okay, what is your father's occupation? She says, no idea. I don't know who my dad is. And then Pete remembers. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. He's real sympathetic. She shakes it off. She says, okay, here's the next option. What is the middle name of your oldest sibling? She says, I don't even know if I have one. What street was your first home on? Pete speaks up and says, wow, they do not make these orphan friendly, do they? And Aaron just shakes her head and looks really sad. And it's really depressing. And then Pete and Aaron sit down with Phyllis. Aaron is looking for answers to her security questions. And she knows that Phyllis gave away the baby around the time that Aaron was born. And then is it Phyllis talking head? She says, I gave up a baby years ago. He was exactly the same age as Aaron, but we already did the test. It's not her. I try not to think about those days. It was a difficult time. Giving away a baby is so hard. And the food that they give you in the maternity ward (laughs) is a joke. Priorities. Not the point of this. Phyllis says that, while she doesn't know who her mother could be, Phyllis's mom did videotape the birth. And she's pretty sure that there's footage of the other babies in the nursery. And I'm glad Pete asked this question because that was the first thought in my head, which was, why did your mom video a birth of a baby that you were going to give away? This is morbid and don't. Yeah. Oh, stop it. But Phyllis says that uh, it's the best record <laughs> of her young body. Though she was pregnant, her boobs were great. <laughs> And uh, Pete takes a 
a beat and then he he's ashamed and <laughs> I looked. <laughs> Okay, let's go ahead and talk through the rest of this storyline because it continues. So next, Phyllis actually shows Pete and Aaron the birthing video. Why? I don't know, but she does. And they're both horrified. Phyllis is in the background looking proud. And on the tape, thankfully, we don't see it, obviously. But we hear a lot of moaning. And Aaron says, how, how long does this go on? And Phyllis says, well, I was in labor for 56 hours. And so my first thought is, how many videotapes is that? <laughs> That's a lot of video. And so Daryl walks in at this point. He said, hey. And then he looks at the TV and his face contorts. And he's like, that is sick. This is a workplace. That is sick. And he leaves and he goes to his office where he has a talking head. He says, those people are sick. This is a workplace. This is a workplace. And he's like in a rage. He's so disturbed by what he has seen on this TV at work. And then I guess they fast forwarded to the part where they're in the maternity ward and there are or the nursery and there are several babies laying in their tubs and the camera comes across a redheaded baby and they pause it and they're speechless. And Aaron asks, do you think that's me? It's really a nice moment. It's really sweet. It's like, wow, this might be Aaron. And the sign above the tub that the baby's lying in reads St. Margaret's and it says, my real name is St. Margaret. I must have been a super religious baby. <laughs> Phyllis says, no, silly. That must have been the church you were given to. Maybe you're from the neighborhood around St. Margaret's. Aaron says, that probably isn't really me. It's fun to imagine, but what was that neighborhood like? Peach says, I know, and I, I don't know. And that leads into the next one. So Pete and Aaron take a walk down the street near St. Margaret's. He takes her there and... They agree that it's a really nice street, a nice neighborhood. But Aaron says, you know, I'm not sure. The card just said St. Margaret. That doesn't mean much. I probably didn't come from here. You know, it's all speculation. And Pete says that, well, came from somewhere. You have a history. And what he knows of her, she's from somewhere nice like this. So why not let yourself believe that this is your history, this is your past? So that was a, a nice thing he did, and um, maybe that's mm -hmm. where she came from. And, and she continues on. She says, there's no trash on the street. <laughs> it's like, right? Cool. It's <laughs> awesome. Very nice street. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Going back to the normal sequence of deleted scenes, we have Gabor, Trevor, Sensei, Ira, and Rolf. And they're all taking pictures of each other. And they say, hey, stop taking pictures of me. Stop taking pictures of me. Stop taking pictures of me. And the reason they're taking pictures of each other is because someone took the first picture and they are taking pictures of each other because they took pictures of each other. It's all kinds of convoluted. And then Rolf speaks up and says, I'm taking mental pictures, which can't be deleted except with a rare earth magnet. And they disperse at this point. It's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> Just a strange moment. Dwight has a talking head defending his friends. He says they're not freaks, except Gabor, who was apparently the source material for an episode <laughs> of Fringe. I forgot about Fringe. I have seen Fringe. I liked Fringe. And I totally forgot it existed. And this got me on a hunt to find Fringe. I liked it. And I totally forgot about it. So <laughs> thanks, The Office. Uh, we get more about the X-Men school. Clark is talking with Gabor. And he asks, so everyone had special powers? Gabor says, one kid could do math in his head. One kid could cry on command. One kid could cry all the time. <laughs> and one kid 
could tell if there were peanuts in something just by tasting it and almost dying. <laughs> and then this last one is awkward. He says, and there was this one girl that could make your penis erect just by standing near you. It's like, these are not superpowers. Come on, come on. Be a person. <laughs> Dwight admits that Moe's, Rolf, and Trevor were not great choices for the job, but he still has his childhood babysitter, Melvina, to interview. And if they can steer the conversation towards the number for poison control, he thinks that they'll be all right because he was poisoned a lot as a child by his childhood babysitter. <laughs> maybe don't care for the job. Yeah, maybe not a great idea. But I mean... Is that true? And also she had a relationship yeah. with him. Yeah, so there's a lot of twisted a lot stuff. Of... Sensei Ira is in the kitchen with a whole bunch of pills on the counter. And he's got a can of coconut peanuts sports drink for some reason. But he's got one. And Toby walks in and he says, you know, you should eat it like a bowl of snap, crackle and pop because we can't legally say Rice Krispies. <laughs> and Ira says, you know, I'm just trying to take my vitamins, sir. And it sounds like he's like chewing on them as he starts popping them into his mouth real quick. He's like, pop, pop. And you're like crunching or something. It, it's really strange. He takes them so quickly. I'm not yeah. sure how he's following them all. Then we see Dwight's friends plus Creed playing paintball. And Creed is on his knees, hands behind his head with Wolf holding a paintball gun to Creed's head. And Creed says, please, I don't know where my teammates are or what we're doing. Is this a game? Am I having fun? <laughs> he's kind of laughing, but it's like nervous. Uh, I'm about to die. <laughs> Laughter. And Gabor says, he doesn't need to tell us what he's thinking because I could read his mind. And he circles his hand around Creed's head and asks him to mouth what he's thinking because that helps him read his mind. And then Nate walks up and lets the guys know that, hey, I almost drowned in a creek not far from here. And Wolf raises his gun and shoots Nate and then shoots Gabor. He says, Wolfman's gone rogue. And now you die. And Creed says, okay, okay, I'll tell everyone everything. The Hobbit and the old woman being, of course, Troy, uh, Troy and Melvina. They're hiding in the porta potty. And while Creed says this, Wolf gets a paintball to the head, courtesy of Dwight, who is standing quite a ways away. He's got a uh, long-distance paintball gun, so he, he decided to join and take out the leader. And, that, and that's all the deleted scenes. We're, we're already very long into this episode. Well, let's go ahead and do your discussion topic. I think it should be pretty short here. Um, I feel like there's a really obvious way to handle the Dwight friend hiring situation. If you were Dwight, how would you handle it? White didn't do it. <laughs> okay, so at what point in the day is this? So this is, he has invited all of his friends and he has interviewed them. And now right. what is the solution to telling them he doesn't want to hire them? Or is that, that, okay, okay, just making sure, like the solution would be not to try and hire your stupid friends, but. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I'm really curious to hear what your answer is. I'm, I'm trying to think if I could come up with a, a fake phone call from David Wallace appointing mm. Clark or somebody or saying Dwight no longer has control. Like, I don't know. This is a CEO. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel like that's a great answer. My thought was they are all waiting around, waiting for Dwight to give them an answer, but run it like literally every other job interview and tell them, thank you. Oh, we yeah. will let you know. Like and That's then fair. don't hire yeah. them. <laughs> you, you don't have to wait wait around like, to, to find out whether you're hired or not. They're all waiting around in the conference room like, did we get it? Like, do we have a callback? And it's like, no, that's not how job interviews work. You're like, great, you know, we'll, we'll let you know one way or the other and then tell them all <laughs> no. 
<laughs> it doesn't have to be this difficult. And then he makes Jim, you know, give the bad news. And it's just uh, so close. <laughs> Could have avoided the awkwardness. Okay. So we are already really long into this episode. So we're going to save our voicemails for next time. With the exception of just a couple that have nice things to say that we'll put at the very end of the show. Not because <laughs> they're saying nice things, but because we don't have to talk about them uh-huh. at length. So uh, <laughs> we're going to go ahead and play uh, the voicemail from Joel from California. So thank you, Joel, for your very complimentary voicemail. We appreciate you saying the nice things. We're going to play your voicemail at the end of the show. Everybody else, Sam from California, Sydney from California, Corey from Oregon, Luke again, Marie from California. Man, what is with California? That's awesome. Uh, and then we have a voicemail from, quote, Andrew Bernard, question mark. So uh, I, I know we've already delayed some of these voicemails one episode, but we're an hour and a half in, guys. We, 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 have, to, we have to draw the line somewhere. So voicemails will happen next time. Hopefully, fingers crossed. If not, we will just do like a voicemail episode. Why not? So go ahead and bring us home. That is the end of the official 101st episode of An American Workplace. You can find us at facebook.com slash workplacepod or at workplacepod on Twitter. Head over to Apple Podcasts where you can rate, review, and subscribe. That helps us get a lot more visibility on that platform, so that would be a big help to us. You can email feedback and ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com. If you would like to leave us voicemail, we, we still welcome it. We're, we're not saying we have too many voicemails. We just have too many voicemails to continue talking about on this episode. So we would love to hear from you. Please reach out. 93-PRETS-DAY. That is 937-738-9329. Try and keep your voicemails shorter. That's going to help us out. Under a minute is ideal. Be specific and direct and get to the point as much as you can. Say your name so that we can thank you by name. And we would love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at KTLady63. And same for me. Best places on Twitter at Chadadada. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also, Facebook.com slash Chad.Hopkins. And my other podcast is Cinescope. You can find it where podcasts can be found and at the CinescopePodcast.com. We have a new Patreon supporter, Evan. Thank you so much, Evan, for your uh, for your support, which helps us run the show. Thanks so much to all of our patrons. And we've been releasing a lot of bonus episodes recently. So if you want a shout out and more of an American Workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker, bonus episodes, as I mentioned, check out our Patreon page. Pick out the support level that you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplace pod. And that is all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 101 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 102 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season nine, Vandalism and Couples. Bye. Bye. So no one told you life was gonna be this way. <laughs> I was singing that in my head before we started. I was like, wouldn't it be funny if we opened an episode with like a friend's theme song? <laughs> I think it's a prank episode where it's like, welcome to uh, episode 103 of an American Workplace. Today we're going to be discussing the one with the embryos from Friends. And uh, we're going to like welcome just dive into Parks a whole discussion. The most requested thing from Katie and I since we started the show. <laughs> since two years ago. Um, okay, that was 101.
and save, and we saved it at an hour 45. Like, holy. Woo! Yeah. That uh, might it, it's be up the there. Um, let's see. I think I have tools that will help me find what the specific longest one is, maybe. Um, episode durations. It's definitely our longest in a long time for sure. Oh, it'll probably end up being shorter than episode 83, actually. I don't know what that was. Episode 83 was 100 minutes long. So, hour 40. And this will not be that once I edit it. 83. What is that? That was The List and The Incentive. That was season 8 premiere. Wow. All right. strange. And it's quickly discovered to be this loyalty pledge by Phyllis. And, um... Oh, I thought you were... <laughs> Sorry, I thought you were like... Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you, you do you. Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>, great. <laughs> uh... White has a talking head. Ray says, I just don't understand, Toby. Nope. Nope. <laughs> our, our next episode is just a, a single, so we'll have a lot more time yeah. to uh, oh, talk about voicemails. That's good news. Okay. Oh, no, it's, no, it's not. No, it's not. I oh, was like, no. <laughs> oh, that's a lie. That's two from now. It's I did okay. my prep for next time. I'm sorry. The next okay. one is a single. So, Hey, this is Joel from Cali. Just wanted to say congratulations on your 100th episode. I hope you guys continue on doing another show. I've been listening to you all for about two years now. I'm sorry, not two years. For about one year. And I've been enjoying it. 